Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. The title of my message this morning is Discerning God's Voice. And we're going to begin just by sharing with you a little bit about someone named Samuel. In the third chapter of the book of 1 Samuel, we are told Samuel experienced the voice of God for the first time in his life and basically didn't even know it was the voice of God. He spent some time uh, visiting with Eli, thinking that Eli was talking to him or calling him out by name, and now that, that wasn't it. And so Eli found out that it must be the Lord talking to him and told him some things that he should know about listening for the voice of God. So he followed that instruction, and of course God spoke to his heart and shared some things with him, and of course we know that Samuel became a major prophet. So... Just like Samuel, many of us, if not all of us, can struggle when it comes to really hearing the voice of God or even the impressions that we get or the thoughts that we have. <clears throat> Do they come from God? Are they of ourselves? Or is it the enemy even trying to inject thoughts into our minds that represent his will for our lives and not God's? Well, it's important that we all learn how to really distinguish which is the voice of God. There are many voices that are in the world today. We know that. We're told that in the book of 1 Corinthians. But which is the voice of God speaking to our hearts about what the will of God is for our life or the plan of God is for our lives? Well, why is that so important? Because it can make the difference between life and death. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 16 and verse 25, we are told there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is the way of death. So in other words, we can get thoughts into our minds, impressions in our minds, that we should do this or we should do that, but the enemy is setting us up for failure, defeat, and also even death. And so it's important that we recognize the voice of God, we recognize where these impressions are coming from and thoughts are coming from, so that we can distinguish them, so that we act properly, according to what God's word is, and God's way is, and God's will is. First, here's a good example. Remember Peter? Everybody remembers Peter, right? We know just how Peter was, right? Look at Matthew chapter 16. A couple of verses we'll read here. Jesus spoke to him and others about who do people say that I am. And Peter responds by saying, well, some say this one, that one, the other prophet or whoever. He says, Simon, Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ. When he asked Peter, who do you say that I am, Peter? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So where did Peter get the revelation? Where did he get the impression? Where did he hear the voice? It came from the Father himself, right? And Jesus told him that. But let's read a little bit further and see what happened, how quickly this changed. Then Peter took him. After Jesus said to him, and it's also true that the Son of Man is going to have to be turned over to the religious leaders and he is going to be crucified. He's going to die. And he's going to be resurrected on the third day. And here's Peter's response. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. A very strong word to reprimand Jesus. Put that into context. 
You're the Son of God, you're the Messiah, but I'm going to reprimand you and I'm going to rebuke you. Hmm, how does that set? Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said to Peter, O swell guy that you are, get thee behind me, Satan. Whoa, thou art an offense to me, and you savor not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. How quickly he went from hearing the voice of God and distinguishing it, being told by Jesus himself, the Father revealed that to you, to hearing something like what Jesus said about him being crucified in his resurrection and rebuking Jesus because he was listening to the wrong voice. He had the wrong impression. And let me tell you why he did. Because he didn't know the word of God. He didn't know the will of God. Had he known the word of God, the will of God, the plan of God in redemption, he wouldn't have rebuked Jesus. He wouldn't have reprimanded him. For that reason, it's important that we all understand that nothing is more important than having an understanding of the word of God and the will of God when it comes to hearing the voice of God. So look in 1 John chapter 4. This is from the Living Bible. And we'll take it from there and share with you some things that we could do in order to make certain that what we're hearing or what we're thinking is truly coming from God. Dearly loved friends, don't always believe everything you hear just because someone says it is a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. For there are many false teachers around. And of course, we could be vulnerable to those false teachers. And then he goes on and shares some other things. But I wanted to point out in this verse of scripture, test it first. Test it. Try it. To determine whether or not the message is truly a message coming from God. And I think we all could agree that sometimes we hear things and we think it's from the Lord. Maybe we're not certain that it's from the Lord. And a thought, an impression, or even a voice. So what things can we do to test it? Well, number one, very simple. And that's found in Luke. Uh, you can see Luke 21, verse 33. Make certain... Make certain it doesn't in any way violate the word of God or contradict God's word. The sky and the earth, the universe, the world will pass away, but my words will not pass away. You know what that means, don't you? Everything has to pass the test of God's word. It will never change. It's always true. It's always the same. And if in any way someone says something or you get a thought or impression that contradicts the word of God, then it's not from God. No matter how good it may sound, it's not from God. As a matter of fact, Paul said it this way. Look in the book of Galatians, chapter 1 and verse 8, New Living Translation. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news or gospel than the one we preach to you. Even if an angel appears to you and says something that contradicts 
the Word of God, don't buy it. Don't believe it. You know, we have some religions out there based on the appearance of supposed angels that violate or contradict the Word of God. Don't buy into it. So we should never use the statement or saying that, well, God told me... Mm, let's, let, me, let me use something. I think I wrote it in there. This is not a pickup line any of you guys should use. God told me that you were to date me. God told me that we're to go out together. Really? But she's married. That kind of contradicts the Word of God, wouldn't you say? Do you think that impression came from God? No. From Him? Or the devil? I'd have to say at least the two of the other, if not both, a combination of the two. Why? Because it contradicts the Word of God. If someone came up to you and said, you're okay, you're going to make heaven, you don't have to be born again. Are you going to buy that? Mm -mm. I had someone tell me one time, you're okay, just be good, do good, you're a good guy, and you'll make heaven. Mm, I, no, that's not what Jesus said anyhow. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he will not enter the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. Does that change ever? Absolutely not. It will never change. So it doesn't matter how much a person may believe in what he's talking about. If it contradicts the word of God, then that's rule number one. It does not pass the test. So if it doesn't pass this test, then it's not from God. Make that clear you know, to yourself. Secondly, number two, does it promote Christ-like character? Does it promote Christ-like character? Now notice in the book of Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is our goal? What's the end game in our Christian life? Is that we become Christ-like. That we conform to the image of Jesus. Thank God for all kinds of other things we can experience in God. But you know what? If we miss out on this particular point, then we're not going to be growing and developing like we should. We're supposed to grow up into Him in all things. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things. That's the progress we're supposed to be making. Taking on Christ-like character. What does that mean? Well, look in the book of uh, Philippians, chapter 2. This is from the New Century Version of the Bible. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ. Test number two. Is it developing Christ-like character in me? Am I, is my thinking Christ-like? Is my acting Christ-like? I'm sure some people made some money on the little braces that they sold. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus say, right? How would Jesus act? So this is what he's saying. He's letting us know that if this is going to pass the test, 
my thinking, what I'm receiving, is it going to promote Christ-like character and conduct? In the book of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, also from the New Century Version, every proud thing that raises itself against the knowledge of God, we capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. I like that, don't you? you got to give up. Carly, this morning when you said all the negative reports you were give, getting, that's what you were doing. you got to give up and just obey Christ. When we told Andrew couldn't live, same thing. Well, that's from a medical perspective, and we respect that. But thank God, God's bigger and God's greater, and God could do more, which is why he's 20 years old right now. Thank God. So if it doesn't promote Christ-like character, and it's coming out in such a way so as to make me not Christ-like, is it really coming from God? Is the suggestion or the thought or the impression coming from God? Let me give you an example here in James chapter 3, and this is verses 14 through 17, and this is from the New International Version. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So if the thought I get, if the impression I get is promoting bitterness, envy, selfish ambition, then is it really coming from God? So in other words, if I want to become vengeful and take something out on somebody because they did something to me, is that being Christ-like? Is that promoting the character of Christ? Uh, although you may want to in the natural, you feel like in the natural, get even with somebody or be unforgiving and bitter towards somebody, is that promoting the character of Christ? If we are prompted to talk about someone, criticize someone, be judgmental towards someone, or um, you know, put someone down, or see someone, uh, let's say, fail, is that a Christ-like character? No. So, all these thoughts and imaginations that come against our minds are to be cast down, and they should obey Christ, even though our feelings and emotions may want to take it out on somebody, or do something negative towards somebody. Well, the wisdom of God, as the scripture said, it is pure. The motives, in other words, behind it is pure. The motive is pure. You want to speak the truth in love. You want to forgive as you have been forgiven. You want to produce peace. It's peace-loving as well. It's going to produce harmony with people. If it's something that's going to see to it that uh, there's no conflict, there's no division, but we're submissive and we're humble, we're teachable, we give ourselves over to do whatever we can to, let's say, bring people together in unity, all this is promoting what? The character of Christ. This is what Christ would do. Now, you think about what Ananias and Sapphira did back in the book of Acts in chapter 5. They got a thought in their mind to do something that basically would have been beneficial to them, but it was not walking in the realm of God's love. As a result of what they did, Peter said to them, why did you let Satan put this in your heart or put this thought in your mind? And then you responded to it and acted on it. 
And of course, they both were judged immediately and fell over dead as a result of that. Aren't you glad we don't have that kind of instant judgment take place even today? Aren't you glad? Absolutely. If, if that happened today, my goodness, how many people would lose their lives over something like the lie that they told? Our God is a consuming fire. You know, we, we know he's a God of love and mercy, but he's a God of justice and judgment as well. So what God wants us to do is to develop a life, Christ-like character, and act in love and step out in love and be forgiving and not let bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment build up within our hearts and lives. So ask yourself the question, does it pass this test? You should do this, you should do that. You'll get people that will tell you to do something that is evil, and uh, it's just not Christ-like. So is that coming from God? And it's not coming from God. That's a wrong impression. Now, number three, does it consider, let's say, what other mature believers know? Have we, in other words, confided in other believers to make certain that we get their thoughts as well? In the book of Proverbs, chapter 14 and verse 11, 11 and verse 14, rather, without good direction, people lose their way. The more wise counsel you follow, the better your chances. Now, this is a little bit, has to be qualified. Let me qualify this. It's good to sit down with other people that are educated in the things of God and they've been taught the things of God and they know the things of God and you know their heart, you know that they have a Christ-like character, you know that they love God and they want to serve God and walk with God. And so you look to that person maybe for godly counsel because maybe they know a little bit more than you do or they've been down the road a little bit further than you have. And so you take whatever that thought might be that's coming to you and just say, you know, can we just sit down and talk about this? And you get three or four other individuals together because in the multitude of counselors, there's much wisdom. And so let's glean some light from other people. They've been down the road. Matter of fact, just what Brother Burdell just, just pointed out here today. He's been delivered from an addiction. And he's thankful to God that he was delivered from the addiction. And he's been proclaiming that and preaching that and letting other people know about that. Why? To offer godly wisdom and godly counsel to other people so that they don't make the mistake that he made in his life. And so let's get some godly wisdom. Let's learn from other people. On the other hand, on the downside of that, it would be you go to the 10 spies, the 12 spies that spat out the land. If you took the counsel of the 10, which was full of doubt and unbelief, you don't, you're not going to get into your promised land. If you listen to the two, Joshua and Caleb, then you're going to get into your promised land. So it's important that even when you take this step, make sure it measures up to what? what's the number one thing, the first thing, the Word of God. Make certain that the Word of God is primary. We've got a more sure word of prophecy. We're living in a time right now when we hear all so many individuals with all these prophetic utterances that are out there in the world. Nothing wrong if they're truly bona fide, genuine individuals that are seeking the face of God and have the mind of God. But I tell you, if something is being spoken of and said that does not line up with this truth of God's word, then it's not to be exalted above the word of God. And we can't accept it. And we saw that happening even in the scriptures when the prophets spoke out and what took place. Well, they were judged by God because what they were delivering was really not coming from him. That's a Scary place to be in, to be honest with you. So think, think that through. But if we're a humble individual, then we will seek the advice and counsel of other people that have gone on, let's just say, uh, before us, or they've learned some things down the road, and so we don't want to make the mistakes that they made. 
We want to make certain, certain that just like parents will say to their children, don't make the same mistake I made. You know, what I did, I learned from. And I'm a little bit older than you are right now. That's why there's this generational gap between us and our children and every, you know, others that come along the way, even grandchildren. And we try to let them know, I don't want you to make the same mistake. It's not that we don't love you and we're not concerned about you. The opposite is true. We love you so much and we're so concerned about you. We want you to avoid making the same mistakes that we did. So, number three is, consider what mature believers already know. Glean light from those that have gone on before us, that have walked with God. They walked in light of God's word. They walked in the realm of God's love. And they pursued the will of God for their lives. And now they're just passing on some valuable information to us to help us along the way so that we don't make mistakes. Number four, uh, does it align with how God created us? Take that as an individual, how God created me. In the book of uh, Psalms, we see this. Psalm 139 and verse 14. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Each and every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. God has given us all talents, abilities, and gifts that we are to use for his honor and glory. As far as he is concerned, he sees us in Christ as a masterpiece, a work of outstanding skill, artistry, and workmanship. Have you ever considered yourself that way? That's how he considers us. That's how he sees us. In Christ, we're this masterpiece. And we've got these abilities, we've got these gifts that he's given to each and every one of us that he wants us to use for his honor and for his glory. So, if I get a thought or if I get an impression in my life that comes to me and says, I want you to contact the praise and worship team tomorrow or Tuesday when you come in uh, to work and let them know that you want to try out for the praise and worship team and you want to sing. I would know that didn't come from God. <laughs> Why? I know how I'm made. I marvel sometimes when I hear people sing that have never had a lesson. They just sing. And it's wonderful. See, I would know that wasn't God because I know me. It's not who I am. I don't do that. Now, we could learn some things. We could learn how to play instruments. I play the guitar, that sort of thing. And you could be gifted at doing things like that. And that's wonderful. But I'm not going to try to be who I'm not. I'm not going to try to be someone else. God doesn't want us to be someone else and do what someone else does. God wants to see us as we are, equip us, anoint us, appoint us, empower us, enable us to do what he has called us to do. And the beauty of it is this. He's anointed you to do it. He's equipped you to do it. He's supplied all you need to do it. It's not acting apart from who you are. It's that simple. These people that have these wonderful voices, I, I only pray that they would dedicate them to, to the service of God. Use them to advance the kingdom of God. But my point is, God's not going to ask me to do something that he's not a quali qualified or equipped me to do. So I'm going to immediately know that's not the voice of God. That's the enemy wanting me to get in trouble. So I'm not going to do what God created someone else to do. Number five, does it concern me? 
does it concern me? Is it my responsibility, in other words? Look in John's Gospel and chapter 21. You know the story, but let's go over it again. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walked whither thou wouldest. But when you become old, you will stretch forth your hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter seeing him saith to Jesus, he's speaking of John, of course, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Notice those words, what is that to thee? Look at each first letter. It's called witty. What is that to thee? Witty. Does it pass the witty test? What is that to thee? Someone comes along and let's just say that you get a thought and you think you're going to tell someone else what to do because um, God, I'll be honest with you, be mindful if you do something like this. God told me to tell you. If you say God told me to tell you, guess what? I have no choice in the matter. If God really said that, it's over. Thus saith the Lord. You might have an impression, you might think that maybe God's in this thing, but be careful if you were to say something like, God told me that you're going to date me. Really? See, that's called manipulation. And we should never use the phrase, God told me to manipulate someone else to do what you want that person to do. Can you see that? Mm -mm. We don't do that. Now, in the book of Romans, chapter 14 and verse 4, in the New Living Translation, here's what it says. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. If God speaks to us about someone else, there's some things that we should consider before we even ever express to that person, well, God told me to tell you. Well, consider these three things. Number one, pray and ask God to show them himself. Open up their eyes. You see, it could very well be that God is speaking to me, maybe to confirm. Number two would be to confirm something that God is showing them. But pray for the person and say, Lord, open up their eyes that they could clearly see what it is that you have to communicate to them. And we've all made mistakes along the way. I know I have along the way. I'm sure you've made a few along the way. I don't think there's anybody here that's perfect. Uh, but... Don't preface anything by saying God told me to tell you something unless you take it to prayer. Make sure that it's clear in your heart and then express it in a way 
where the Bible says, speak the truth in love, that doesn't con condemn somebody. Don't judge another man's servant. And so if I'm to tell somebody something that's maybe God wants to communicate to them, then it's important I clarify that in myself. I don't want to uh, express something that possibly it was a wrong voice, maybe a wrong impression, a wrong thought that came into my mind. It might be damaging to that person. I remember one time I was at school at Rama, and I made an appointment to see a counselor that was there because, well, I was young in the faith, I was young in the Lord, and when I got there, finances were just absolutely off badly because I sold everything I had to go down there. I gave up my job to go down there and work part-time with you know, a baby on the way and, and, and all that. And I really never understood, never really learned anything about believing God for finances because I was young in the Lord. I didn't even know all the things that were mine in Christ. And so I made a decision just to see, I wonder if I get some counsel or advice about this. So I'm sitting there in this person's office and the phone rings and this counselor's on the phone talking to somebody else about the same thing I'm going through. I wanted some counsel, some advice about how to believe God for finances in that. Well, as I listen to the conversation, you know, number three is by uh, listening to somebody else talk, you know, we can unconsciously help somebody just by speaking what the Word says. I sat there and listened probably about 10 minutes, and then when she apologized, <clears throat> hung up the phone, and she says, I'm so sorry, I don't normally do that, but that was a situation I had to take care of right then. How can I help you? I said, you just did. So, what do you mean? I said, just what you said to that person you were talking to by declaring what the Word of God says to that person, God spoke to me through that. So, that's it. I don't need anything more than that. That was probably one of her quickest and easiest counseling sessions she's ever had. She said, oh, thank you. No, I said, thank you. We'll see you. And I left. Didn't even say what it was. That was it. I didn't need to spill my guts out and say what the problem was or the situation was. I just heard what the Word said. Once I heard what the Word says, I've always been a stickler for what the Word says. If that's what the Word says, then that's it. I know exactly what I need to know. And so I walked out of there and just left. And from that point on, just said, I believe God. So uh, it's important that we realize uh, if we're going to help someone else, we could do that possibly just by unconsciously speaking what the Word says in the people's lives. So, if a thought or impression comes to us that's important to communicate to somebody else, once again, let it run through the test of the Word. Does it promote the character of Christ? And does it consider it what godly counsel would probably present to somebody? Then, thank God, you can follow through. Number six, does it convict or does it condemn? Does it convict or does it condemn? I would have venture to say that everybody in this church has felt condemnation by the enemy. Have you not? We all can say that, yes, I have felt that. Well, there's a distinct difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation comes from the unholy spirit. And the unholy spirit wants to point out our character flaws and faults and failures. And people get all kinds of thoughts in their mind. Is that from God? Is that of myself? Or is that of the devil? And if we don't understand this distinct difference between the two, then once again we just get run over and destroyed by the enemy who, listen to this, 
Do you know that before a person sins, he minimizes it? The sin that is? He minimizes it? Everybody's doing it. Go ahead. It doesn't really matter. You're all right. Right? Just minimizes it. Do you ever notice that after you commit the sin, he maximizes it? How in the world can you do something like that? I thought you were a Christian. My goodness, look at you. He minimizes it only to maximize it once you do it. Why? He wants to hold you captive by guilt and condemnation. But in the book of Romans chapter 8 verses 1 and 2, you know what it says? There's no, therefore now no condemnation to him or to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Why? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made us free from the law of sin and death. Well, thank God, even though we know we miss the market sometimes, we know that the Holy Spirit is there to convince us and convict us and to draw us back. Look in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And this is uh, verse 19 uh, in the Amplified Bible. Those whom I dearly and tenderly love, I tell their faults and convict and convince and reprove and chasten. I discipline and instruct them. So be enthusiastic and in earnest and burning with zeal and repent, changing your mind and attitude. The whole point is to reproduce in us the character of Christ. So if we've got these thoughts of guilt and condemnation, and remember this, conviction, once you respond to it, it's over. But condemnation, it will be there forever. He'll ever, forever condemn the child of God because he's accusing the brethren of whatever he wants to accuse us of. We can lean over here and just be so condemned by the enemy. And who is he that condemns? It's not God. It's not Christ. It's the enemy who condemns us for anything that we've ever done wrong. And so, it'll be there forever. Even if you repent, it'll still be there. It'll just follow you all your life if you don't make a decision to do something about it. And so, that voice, that thought, that impression does not come from God. If it condemns me and I get no relief from the condemnation... It is of the devil, or I'm thinking that about myself. Have you not put yourself down at one time or another when you've missed the mark along the way, which we all have because we're living in the same flesh? Are we not? Sure. And if we expose ourselves to our own self-guilt and condemnation, then the enemy is going to just wreak havoc with us. We know that as well. So it's up to us to see to it that this conviction that comes our way, that's designed by God to open up our eyes to see that, you know, you need to make an adjustment here or an adjustment there. But that doesn't mean that he browbeats us with condemnation. That is the enemy. And number seven, does it produce peace? In the book of Colossians, chapter 3 and verse 15, this is from the Amplified Bible. And let the peace, so harmony which comes from Christ's rule, or act as umpire continually in your hearts, deciding and settling with finality all questions that arise in your minds in that peaceful state to which as members of Christ's one body you were also called to live and be thankful, appreciative, giving praise to God always. And so what he's telling us is that it'll produce peace. Peace that passes all understanding. That's why he's supposed to act as an umpire, it says. What does an umpire do in baseball? Cause the shots, in or out. A ball or a strike. The peace of God is supposed to act as an umpire within our innermost being. And once again, why is it important to know the word of God? Because you can have a false peace as well. You realize we could want something so badly that 
it just basically takes advantage of our emotions and we can get a false peace because I want it so badly. Let's go back to the person that wants to date that girl that's married. I just know it's so. I know it's God. I got this peace about it. Well, I'm sorry, it's false. Why is it false? Because the Word of God says so. You see, there's a distinct difference between the spirit and the soul of a man, but it's hard to detect and determine between the two. Only the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, can divide asunder between the spirit and the soul. And that's why when even we have this false peace within us that I should do this, always make it stand up to the Word of God. And if God's Word does not make it clear, then it's a false peace. Everything has to line up with the Word of God. I can't express how important it is to really learn this. And I'm, as I conclude here, we'll share why. John G. Lake, who was a, a man of God, tremendous man of faith, mightily used of God in many, many miracles and developing 500 churches in Africa and so on. He was traveling one day and he heard the voice of God tell him, go to the far left, cross the, the line, the yellow line, and move over to the far left immediately. And so he took his car and basically broke the law to go over to the other side. And just as he did, a semi-tractor trailer was coming down this hill, and this was like going up a mountainside, and the drop-off would have been probably 100 feet, 200 feet, whatever it was. It jackknifed, got out of control. And as he pulled over to the other side and stopped this, it went down, jackknife. But then the driver got control of it and was all right. But if he was right there at that moment, it would have knocked his car off of probably, probably to his death. 100 feet, 200 feet, whatever it was. He says, I come to know that, that that was the voice of God. And so it's so important that we recognize this is God speaking to me about something that I ought to do. We need to distinguish that. We need to know that. Why? So that we can align ourselves with the will of God for our lives. Look at John's Gospel. We'll close with these two verses. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 47 from the end, New International Version. Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you don't hear is that you do not belong to God. What a statement Jesus made. Those that know Him hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep, they know my voice. Why? Because it aligns with the word of God. And God is always speaking to us. But we've got all these interfering voices coming against us to try to tell us something else. We've got our feelings and emotions that want to dictate to ourselves and tell us something else. We get impressions from the world, the devil and the flesh that try to tell us to do something else. And we have to sift through that and determine, what am I going to do? Do what God says to do. And finally, Look at these last, this last verse. This, we should take it to heart and actually obey it, follow it. There's three things here. Listen to this wise advice. Number one is listen. There's something to be said for speaking, but there's another thing to be said for listening. We can speak, but do we listen? What's the biggest problem we have in communication? Over speaking one another. Speaking over one another. Listen to this wise advice. Follow it closely. So listen and follow. For it will do you good and you can pass it on to others. Listen, follow it, and pass it on. 
let others know. And so it's up to us to make a decision that I or you are, we're going to spend some time doing what? Reading our Bible so we can get an understanding of what the will of God is for our lives and what God's will is for us, whether it's our character, uh, whether it's our finances, whatever it might be. Uh, Secondly, meditation. Meditate the word of God. Think it through. Pour over it because we need to know it, but we have to perceive and understand it. And then next, see to it that we make it a matter of prayer. Seek the face of God in prayer. It could be fasting. We use fasting as well. It could be journaling, writing certain things down. Uh, It could be worshiping God, just being in a place where we get alone with God so that we can hear his voice. Uh, More than anything else, practice the presence of God. And as we do those things and look to him, he can speak to us in different ways. He can speak to us through his word. He can speak to us through the ministry of angels. He can speak to us through a dream. He can speak to us through a vision. He can speak to us in in numerous ways through other people as well. And it's up to us to make a decision that I want to know what God wants for my life. And it's honestly, I didn't think we'd have this kind of a service today. But to be honest with you, it can prevent death. And we saw in two cases here, it can prevent death. Let's all stand together before the Lord.